Welcome to the SLP Talk Show. Real talk with Carrie about stuff that really matters. Hey, it's Carrie, your fast-talking, speech-therapy-loving host. While you are driving, cleaning, exercising, or whatever it is you do while listening to podcasts, I'm going to be chatting about pediatric speech therapy stuff. But I don't want our time together to feel like work or be boring. You already work enough, and you already have enough boring stuff to do in your life. So let's get going and have some fun. Hi, welcome to another episode of SLP Talk Show. This is episode number 31. I'm Carrie, and I'm here with my bestie, Jim. It's me. We're back. I'm back. Yay. You're back. We're back. We're back. We're both back. We're here. We're here. <laughs> so before we get started with our topic, how about a quick game of chump or... Champ. 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 Are you feeling lucky? I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay, let's do it. Absolutely. Here we go. Four questions. Yes. Let's see if you can do four out of four. Okay. Here we go. Who famously lived at 221B Baker Street in London? Uh, Sherlock. Uh, absolutely. That's an easy one. Who is the author of the James Bond novels? Um, Ian um, Fleming. Excellent. Yes. I'm yes. so impressed. In what city did Jim Morrison die and was buried? Baltimore? I don't know. It's in Europe. Paris. Yeah. Okay. That's a nice second guess with a little hint. <laughs> Well, yeah. Okay, and your last question. In what decade was Michael Jackson born? Uh, the 60s. Nope. 70s. Nope. 80s. Nope. Wait, what? 50s? He was born in 1958. What? Right? I know. I was shocked by that one. Oh, I guess I do remember him when I was a kid. Like, he was super little. He was He was part of the was Jackson like, 5. Yeah. yeah. Okay. ABC, okay. ABCs and one, two, threes. There you go. Remember that song? Yeah, there you go. So you're not a champ. You're always no. a champ to me, no. though, Jim. That's yeah. a good thing. Oh, well, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. I, I, <laughs> I feel accepted now. You know, I feel validated. Yes, yes. We've had a crazy life. I'm sitting here looking at all the paint on my hands. We've been painting. Yeah. And good thing it's a podcast and not like nobody's looking at us. Oh, I know. Yeah. I'm a train wreck today. So. Uh, I have a face made for radio. <laughs> You think so? Yeah. That's what my mom said. So. Jim. <laughs> Pat would not say that. <laughs> All right. So we're going to go ahead and jump into our topic. Uh, and what I want to... I'm getting ready to, to leave. I'm going on the road, right. which is what I do pretty much every week. Mm-hmm. And I am actually going to four different cities in the state of Nebraska. So I'm going to be out and about. And so one of the... Just call it a Nebraska tour. The Nebraska tour. I'm going on the Nebraska tour. That's right. That's right. It's kind of like my home away from home. Uh, we live in Missouri, and I spend an awful lot of time in Nebraska. I know I've said this before, but I, I love people in Nebraska. They're they are so nice. Extremely nice. Very extremely nice. nice. Yes, absolutely. Some of my favorite people live in Nebraska. So, anyways, I'm going on my Nebraska tour, mm-hmm. leaving here in about two hours. As soon as we. Uh, Get yep. the paint off my hands, get this yep. uh, podcast recorded. And one of the topics that I'm presenting on twice uh, is the power of play. Okay. And I'm going to be talking about the importance of play-based learning yeah, yeah. in the digital age. Okay. And so mm-hmm. I thought, you know, since I'm going to be talking about it on the road, why don't we talk about it here in the old podcast? Okay. That sounds so, great. So one thing that I think we have to acknowledge is that true play is disappearing. And it has been for quite a while. Mm-hmm. So I think about how play is disappearing from our homes, right. from our neighborhoods, yep. from our child care centers, and it has 
all but disappeared from our schools. Right. Right. So I thought what you and I could do real quick is we'll just go down memory lane a little bit and talk about, uh, you know, what play used to look like. You Mm -hmm. and I were both born, well, you were born in 69. I was born in 71. So, but basically the same era, if you will. And I'm a lot younger than Michael Jackson. You are. See, you've got that going for you. Well, and I'm alive. <laughs> and you've got that. Yes, yes, that's a good call. That's a good call. So uh, when we were kids, I always say we could summarize our childhoods in a in, in like just a few words. I think you and I would both agree one way to describe our childhood is we played outside and we rode bikes. Like that's, yes. That's one way. I didn't right? ride very well, but well, okay. I did ride it. We did ride. I, fe- I fell off a you lot. fell off. That's okay. But the other things we did, what did we like to do? We played tag, hide yep. and seek. Yeah. Uh, you played in the sandbox. Did you have a sandbox? Yep. Or a pile of dirt, one or the other? Both. You Both. Know. Built forts, climbed trees. Yep. I don't know. We went exploring. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you just did. I don't know. We were, I would say we were a very resourceful generation. I don't remember having a ton of toys as a kid. Do you? Do you remember having a ton of store-bought toys? No. No, I mean, not a whole lot. But we were resourceful. We were creative. We were imaginative. So mm-hmm. my best friend Rachel and I, I can remember when we were we were kids, we used to kind of scour the neighborhood looking for the perfect white rock. And the reason we wanted a white rock is because there was no such thing as sidewalk chalk. Yeah. And so we would draw. We'd play some it. hopscotch. Yeah, we'd play hopscotch and we'd play four square. And so we would draw it with our white rock. True. So we didn't have a lot, but we didn't feel like we were missing out on anything because no. we were given the greatest gift of childhood, which is boredom. Yeah. And when you're given boredom, you become creative. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think it's just so important to really think about how... We've kind of taken that away because today kids, mm-hmm. they're busy. Yeah. They're over they, they, they are. And everything's elaborately done. You and, know? and a very Where, adult director. When I was a kid, if, if we had a, a ball, mm-hmm. we were happy. <laughs> that was good. You know, yeah. a ball and, and uh, you know, like uh, the separation or the line in the concrete. That was your line for four yeah, square. Uh, that yeah. was two square. Yep. Or that's where you shot your free throws from. Right. right? You'd find a line. Yep. I mean, yep. yeah. So um, I think we can all agree that. You know, childhood is changing. Um, uh, as an early intervention provider, I go into homes and sometimes it looks like Toys R Us exploded. You know, right, there's just right. so many toys. So we have this idea that, you know, y- y- kids need a whole lot of toys. Um, but yet a lot of kids today don't really know how to play with toys. Um, so there's You're talking a lot, about little kids. Little kids, little yeah. tiny kids, like toddlers, you mm-hmm. know, in early intervention. Yeah. We have to show them how to play with blocks. We have to show them how to play with a ball. Those Because so many, uh, so much of early childhood today is spent sitting in front of a screen, you know, doing mm-hmm. a lot of screen-based yeah. stuff. So I, I don't want to talk about screen time today. That's really not what I want to talk about. I just want to talk about this word play. Because unfortunately, in our society today, play is the enemy. Okay. Mm -hmm. Play is this four letter word that is basically, it has this negative connotation. So here's something that, that I've heard my, you know, a lot as an SLP, as a speech language pathologist. Oh, we really liked our last speech therapist. She was really sweet. We Mm -hmm. liked her a lot, but all she did was just play, play with our child. We thought she was going to come in and teach him how to talk, but all she did was just play. I am consulting with a school district. It doesn't matter where this school district is. I consult with many of them. And uh, I am working with the kindergarten uh, teachers and principal in Mm -hmm. one particular elementary school to bring play back into kindergarten because play is not a part of kindergarten. Hasn't been for a couple decades now. And uh, so there's a lot of time spent doing uh, worksheets, a lot of time spent in adult-directed instruction, that lecture-listen model Mm -hmm. that we did 
has like older kids. They're doing that in kindergarten now. So mm -hmm. anyways, I did my course on play and the importance of play-based learning. And this one principal was all in. She's like, I want to bring play back into kindergarten. So I've been consulting with them. And one of the kindergarten teachers has been very hesitant but she's finally on board and she um, is finally kind of excited about it. And she mentioned to one of her friends who is a teacher at a different school. She said, oh, my gosh, we're bringing play back into kindergarten. You mm -hmm. know, I'm so excited. Yeah. And her friend said, oh, you're kidding me. I am so glad my son doesn't isn't going to go to kindergarten at your school then. That is ridiculous. I mean, then this is a teacher. And she was appalled that they oh. were going to bring play back into kindergarten. Hmm. So that's why I just really feel compelled to, you, you know me. I mean, I've been loud for play based learning for years now yeah. i mean this has been one of my, my yeah, soapbox I mean, we, we used to sell a t-shirt called defender, defender of play. play and that's so. what i if, if you ask me oh what is your job carrie yeah. i'm a defender of play like that's that's well, how yeah. i view you, myself I, you have a cape yes i wear you, my cape and you stand yes. on mountaintops yep, and, and i fly look, off and defend play very loudly so yeah. i just figure the podcast is another avenue for me to um i'm hoping there's parents you know who are mm -hmm. going to listen to this because i think pediatric slps um hopefully early childhood educators at least most of them have buy-in right there mm -hmm. is evidence a significant amount of evidence behind play-based learning okay so what i want to do today is hopefully reach some parents okay and help them understand that play is not the enemy. Okay. Play is not frivolous, purposeless activity. Uh, and so I, I really want to take us back a couple decades ago to something uh, kind of known as the cognitive hypothesis. And okay. our oldest daughter was born in 1997. And right. that was the year that baby Einstein DVDs were mm -hmm. first released. And that is the time when this cognitive hypothesis really started taking hold. And the cognitive hypothesis is um, this kind of a frightening viewpoint that our society has and it has led to misguided information about what young children need to succeed in this in this world so uh, I think it's important for us to understand that young children are not miniature adults okay young children their only difference isn't that they're just short Right. It's right, not like, right. like kids are just short <laughs> versions of adults and just need to hurry up and get taller and then they'll be just like adults. Right. So what we have to acknowledge. And You're not taking what, them to the bar and giving them just a short beer. A short beer. Yeah, I'd like a tall short. beer for me and a short beer for my yeah, short Yeah, this friend. is an adult, you know, a, a full-size adult <laughs> and this beer. Is a, and this, a this is adult. a yeah. short adult beer. Yeah, exactly. Or, so yeah. that's not where we're at, right? No. So I need people to acknowledge the early childhood is um, we're dealing with human beings who have developing brains and bodies. Right. So what we're dealing with here is a developing nervous system. Mm -hmm. And when you have a child with a developing nervous system, you cannot teach them the same way that you teach older children and adults. Right. But yet we are doing that. We are sitting little tiny humans mm -hmm. down in chairs at tables and expecting this ridiculous concept called whole body listening where your eyes need to be on me, your hands need to be quiet, your bodies need to be still, and you just need to listen and absorb everything I'm saying. But don't move and don't participate. Heaven forbid, don't speak. <laughs> right? Just sit still. Yeah. Right. This is so ridiculous that we think that this is how young children learn. So we wonder now why we have such significant behaviors, challenging behaviors mm -hmm. in school. This is the biggest concern, right? This is the right. biggest barrier that our teachers and our, and our principals are saying is, oh my gosh, behaviors are through the roof. Well, of course they are because we're trying to force 
children with developing brains and bodies to sit still and be quiet and learn via the lecture listen model and that is not how tiny humans who i am i'm pumped up sorry i'll take it down a notch that's not how they learn yeah and and you know i've heard a story from someone about i think it was a kindergartner that ran down the hallway as fast as he could Mm -hmm. and screamed out i hate school yeah from a teacher Mm -hmm. this is a story relayed by a teacher and so she had to calm him down and tried to get him to put his backpack back on and go back to his class. He was ready to go home. Yeah, he was like, I'm going home. I'm out of here. And to scream the words, I hate school. And it's because of this kind of thing. I think, you know, we're we're asking of these children things they can't do. Exactly. So this cognitive hypothesis um, has convinced the world that the most important thing for children to be is smart. And the way we measure smartness is things that can be easily documented so if you know all your letters numbers shapes and colors sure let's say yeah. as a three four or five year old we've decided you're very yep. smart you're right? doc you're documented smart you're documented smart that's right so this cognitive hypothesis has convinced us that earlier is better when it comes to academics so the baby educating toy category i want you to think about that for a mm-hmm. minute those words should never be in the same sentence the other baby <laughs> educating baby do you understand educating. how ridiculous that is yeah. but it's the fastest growing toy category there is the baby educating toy category emerged in the late 1990s following the birth of baby einstein okay okay because we had all of a sudden we went from acknowledging that childhood is different from adulthood that children learn naturally through discovery and exploration, through mm-hmm. play, right? And all of a sudden, we're like, oh, no, forget play, forget childhood, forget the culture of childhood. We're just going to treat them like miniature adults, right? And we're going to force feed academics in order to make them smarter, faster. So there was this... Like re- drill work. Yeah, drill work. And there was this ridiculous program that came out. And it was called um, My Baby Can Read Program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember and, that. And I'm like, what, 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 even if babies could read, why in the world would you ever want to teach a baby to read? Like, what happened to... <laughs> why have we decided that the development mental journey is no longer acceptable that you need to come out of the womb and you need to hurry up and get smart as fast as you can right. so we no longer value childhood we no longer recognize the joy of childhood right. because now everything has to be work right if you as parents parents are not considered quote unquote good parents unless they're raising productively scheduled very smart children who are involved in every activity right, right. and so oh it what's just... that what's that old saying about everything in Due in time, in, in due time, yeah, isn't there? Yeah, yeah and and that's you know what, a few hundred years old, and, right? And we're forgetting, we're ignoring it. We're, we're like, we're, no, hurry up. We're we're ignoring history, right? Hurry up. We're ignoring grow. what's worked. That's right. And we're right. we're just blindly going forward yeah. with, with drank, something that has no research behind it. We drank it. the Kool-Aid. We've all decided, ooh, we need to hurry up and make these babies, these young children, smarter, faster. So now we have preschoolers and kindergartners sitting in chairs, mm-hmm. at tables, doing yep. worksheets, uh, uh, engaging in, uh, not engaging, I mean, being forced to have this adult-directed kind of lecture-listen uh, type of instruction. And so what has happened because of this cognitive hypothesis is it has suggested to our society that play is the opposite of learning. Mm-hmm. So that's why there's so much negativity. We've decided that there's this continuum and that learning is very important and learning is serious business and there shouldn't be too much laughing or giggling 
giggling. There should be no shenanigans, right? It should be, it should look and sound very serious. That's right. learning. And that play is this other end of the spectrum, if you will. It's the opposite of learning. And play is a break from learning. Play is frivolous, purposeless activity. And yes, everybody needs a break, but I don't want my child spending too much time playing because I would rather have him learning. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what I'm going to ask professionals to start doing, um, uh, pediatric therapists, early childhood teachers, uh, uh, elementary school teachers, is we have to move away from using the word play because play is now, it has a derogatory kind of meaning behind it, right? Everybody sure. views play as the enemy. Play is a waste of time. It's frivolous, purposeless activity. So the term that I have, I've started using now is play-based learning. Okay. You see how now, because what yeah. I want people to understand is in early childhood, play and learning are synonyms. Right. They're not opposites. Okay. They are synonyms. And so we need to be using the term play-based learning. And and so I actually have a free handout on my website. Uh, I will link it in the show notes. Okay. okay? Uh, yep. So that you guys can access it very easily. But it's just a one-page handout called The Power of Play-Based Learning. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's so important that we understand that learning while, you know, that's part of being human, we learn and, you know, uh, acquire new knowledge and skills, right? Learning is usually um, something you, you gain these new knowledge or these new skills by studying. Like we, you know, when you're in school and you're older and you study mm -hmm. or by being taught, right? So there's a lecture listen model. You're sure. being taught this new skill. But play-based learning uh, is the process of acquiring new knowledge or skills through discovery and exploration. So when we talk about play-based learning, we're now talking about this multi-sensory experience. Mm -hmm. It's not just auditory. See, this is the problem with the lecture-listen model. It primarily relies on the auditory sense. So you have to be an auditory learner in order to be successful in the lecture-listen model. And a lot of people benefit from multi-sensory type of learning activities, meaning um, it should be hands-on. Right, it should be actively engaging. It should be a social experience, right? Instead of sit still, be quiet, and let me talk at you for mm -hmm. the next few hours, we are talking about this hands-on uh, learning experience. Learn by doing, not by being lectured to, not by doing worksheets, um, but it's really about uh, active engagement. Okay. And I think as adults, we learn best by doing, don't we? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's one thing. Like, I mean, I could watch somebody play the piano on YouTube and watch for hours and hours, and I still can't play the piano. The only way I can, I can watch, but I actually have to do it mm -hmm. in order to learn how to do it, right? So right. there has to be that active engagement. So one of my favorite one-liners... I have a lot of one-liners that mm -hmm. I've come up with, but one of my new favorite ones is this formula. Are you ready for this formula? It's a great formula. Okay. Language plus experience equals learning. Mm. So worksheets, anything on a screen, like apps, educational apps, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. So let's talk worksheets, screen-based learning. Those provide language. Nobody's going to argue about that. You can rote memorize some skills, okay. right? You can rote memorize something because there's language. So you can get the language. But those things, worksheets and apps, they provide no hands-on experiences. And so it is extremely important that we are providing experience too, not just language being thrown at the child, you know, and, and calling that learning. Like, mm -hmm. who? Let me let me tell you all these things. How about let me help you experience those things, right? So that you can actually learn. Uh, so as early childhood professionals, uh, we should be defenders of play. And so as defenders of play, we need to understand that play is intrinsically motivating to children. Mm -hmm. So when we engage in play-based learning, 
We're not going to have to dangle the carrot and offer them a reward. We're not right. going to be like, ooh, if you do this, then you can earn three extra minutes of recess. Or if you do this, I'll give you some fruit snacks. Right. Right. We want it to be intrinsically motivating because it's relevant and meaningful. Um, Play-based learning uh, supports positive attitudes toward learning. So no kid's going to be screaming, I hate school, if they're engaging in joyful learning. Right, And that's what we want, joyful learning. When did we decide that the best way to make a child behave is to make them feel terrible? You know, let's remove all the joy in learning. Oh, here's another one of my favorite one-liners. As long as there's joy in learning, Children will always love to learn. See, that's great. But what we have done is we have successfully plucked all the joy out of learning. So we need to acknowledge that play is critical for the development of cognitive, language, social, emotional, and motor skills. Play, here's my favorite quote, Mr. Rogers. You remember Mr. Rogers? Mm -hmm. Good old Mr. Rogers. Did you grow up watching Mr. Rogers? Yeah, I watched him. Yeah, Yeah. I did too. So Mr. Rogers. I liked uh, King Friday. Oh, King Friday. Oh, it was so good. So anyways, Mr. Rogers is one of the greatest early childhood advocates of all times. Mm -hmm. And of all of his amazing quotes, this is far and away my favorite quote from Mr. Rogers. Play gives children a chance to practice what they are learning. Right. Now think about that. Think how powerful that is, right? You can't just expect a child to be taught something once and then they're masters at it. So through play, children practice what they're learning. Right. It's like (sighs) watching a video on how to play second base. No. You're never going to get good at it. <laughs> you don't know how to do You don't know how to play uh-huh. second base until you play second well, base. Here's my other favorite analogy. When you go to get your driver's license at age 16, right, mm-hmm. you have to take two tests. And what's the first test you always take? The, the written test. Does that mean you know how to drive a car, though? Oh, no. Absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. So just because you're smart, quote unquote, I got my air quotes going, just because you're smart on paper right. does not mean you have any actual skills. Yeah, I'm, ah. I have a confession to make that I passed my written test on the first try, but it took me three times to... To pass the driving portion? The, the driving portion. First my car failed and then I failed. <laughs> so... There you go. Yeah. There you go. I think I think our daughters didn't pass the first time because they couldn't parallel park. Is that right? Uh, something like I, that. Maybe one of them. Anyways, yeah. So the point is, just because you have knowledge, just because you have quote unquote smartness, doesn't mean you have actual skills. Right. So we need to understand the power of play-based learning. So the other thing that play-based learning allows for is play-based movement. And uh, one of my favorite books of all times is called A Moving Child is a Learning Child. Mm-hmm. And it was the best book I've ever read as an early childhood uh, professional um, because it really helped me understand why we have unreal realistic expectations for young children to sit still and be quiet. Um, I I heard an occupational therapist, and I wish I could cite who said this because it was probably the most brilliant thing I've ever heard um, anyone ever say. And um, But I was sitting at a conference, and this OT said, you've got to understand that the highest form of movement is the ability to sit still. Mm. Wow, that's crazy. That is so profound. I'm going to say it again because I want you to think about this. The highest form of movement is the ability to sit still. So we're asking... Two-year-olds. Yeah, two, three, four, five-year-olds with developing bodies, right? They are developing. sit still in a chair. And that's the highest form of movement. And so it's hard for adults to sit still. Like, I'm fidgeting quite a bit. Like, I've repositioned multiple times. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if I go to a conference, um, well, like, I'll be presenting this week. I mean, some people stand. People understand what their nervous systems need to stay regulated. So you give yourself. You fidget. You doodle. You move around. You walk around. You do whatever you have to to stay regulated. But for some reason, we've decided young children are not allowed to self-regulate. 
And so right. we decided that they're willfully defiant or disobedient when they won't sit still and be quiet. So we have a lot to learn and to, I guess, acknowledge. And, and we need to be respecting uh, the culture of childhood because children, again, are not just short adults. They have developing they're not, nervous They're systems. not short, small robots either. And they're not robots. Thank you. Absolutely. They are human beings and we need to treat them uh, with more respect than we're currently doing in education and in early childhood. This is a, this is a uh, spicy. This is spicy. Episode. And I feel like I'm being really like, like shaking my finger at people. But I mean, when I, I mean, I have been researching this for how long? I've been doing my play course for over a decade now. I think I'm on like year 11. Do you feel like we're losing ground? I do feel like we're losing ground because there is, so now what's happening is because we um, have to have 21st century learning standards, so now kids, at least kids used to go to school and they had three recesses a day Mm -hmm. and they had more active learning, you know, because we didn't have technology in the schools. Now every kid has a one-to-one device. So now they're at home in front of their device, you know, their Chromebook, their iPad, whatever, and now they go to school and they sit for hours and hours and hours in front of their device, in front of their screen. And so I think that we are losing ground because we have decided that um our biggest issue now is is challenging behavior and Mm -hmm. so it what we're trying to do is with uh behavior management tactics we're trying to manage behaviors of students in school and i have a real issue with that because we should be looking at the why behind the behavior Mm -hmm. our number one response to challenging behavior see now we're on a totally different topic but our number one (laughs) response to challenging behavior should be curiosity Uh, the very first thing we should do when a child exhibits a challenging behavior like runs down the hallway screaming i hate school you know grabbed his backpack and is like i'm going our number one uh, response should be why what is the why behind that something is causing that because behavior is communication and we have to understand then i promise i'll wrap this this little (laughs) mini sidebar up um that for a lot of young children uh behavior is their most accessible form of communication during times of distress so when they react by mm-hmm. hitting, screaming, it's running because they're, off, in, they're distressed. It's because they they they're fight or flight mode, right? right? They're going they're they're in a moment of distress. So our concern should not be managing the behavior. Our number one priority should be why is he so distressed? What right. about this learning environment is causing this child so much stress mm-hmm. that he feel feels the need to elope, to run away or to hit or to scream, you know, mm-hmm. or to tear those papers off the wall, whatever the behavior is. So as a speech language pathologist, I'm getting more and more interested in supporting um, classrooms because this challenging behavior is being addressed as though these kids are being willfully defiant, right, willfully right. Disobe- they're just, disobedient. There's bad kids. Yeah, they're just bad kids. And I am not seeing that. I am seeing that we are creating a culture of stress in our schools. And so this culture of stress is contributing to the challenging behaviors. Mm-hmm. So I would love for you to join me as a defender of play to be very loud about the importance of play-based learning for young children with developing brains and bodies. And if you're a parent, um, please uh, follow me on social media. Uh, because There's lots of information. Uh, lots of information. Go to my website. I have lots of handouts. Um, and it's just so important that we understand the culture of childhood. Mm-hmm. These are not miniature adults. I agree. All right. Very good. Thanks for listening to another, as Jim calls it, spicy episode of the SLP talk show. Uh, If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a five-star review. We really appreciate your feedback as you go back into the real world. Be nice. Be kind. Be accepting. Get your mammogram, please, please, please. Um, I just found out that another friend, she's a colleague as well, um, was recently diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm. That's two of my friends this year. 
yep. too. Um, thank goodness. Um, I just found out yesterday about my friend, and she said they caught it early. So yeah. I'm very grateful so, for that. I will just say, as a 10-year breast cancer survivor, um, I am living proof that early detection matters yeah. because I have no business still being on this planet as aggressive nope. as that breast cancer was, but we caught it early. So right. I'm asking you, please get your, get your mammogram, tell your friends to get their mammogram. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore anything. Okay. Um, life's too short, um, yeah. uh, to put it off. So thank you very much for listening. And, um, until we meet again, cheers. Cheers.